Thank you very much. You can be seated. It's good to see you here this morning. Has somebody already said anything to you that just made you feel good? No? Then turn to the person beside you right now, okay? Turn to the person beside you right now and say, I like you. And then, and then tell them, God does too. And now I want you to say something that won't make any sense to you, okay? I want you to, I want you to say to the person beside you, taste good. Say it again, taste good. One more time, say to somebody, come on, come on, say it, taste good. Today we're going to talk about words that taste good compared to words that are rotten and taste bad. As a kid growing up on the farm in Kentucky, we drank a lot of milk. And uh, I remember one, one day, it was dinner, and my sister played a cruel trick on me. When I wasn't looking, she dropped an onion in my glass of milk. And I took a big drink and spit it out all over the table. Tasted awful. I mean, it really did. And it had such an impact on me. All these years later, milk, I buy it, and and I go to the back of the shelf there at at the store and get the most, you know, freshest date I can, longest out. And then when I get home and I open it, I can drink it the day I open it and the next day. But after two days of being open, forget it. I don't care if there's a week left on the freshness date. I can't drink it because I, I begin, I don't know, it's just she ruined me. She ruined me. And uh, so we, we buy milk, and after two days of it being open, if Monisa doesn't drink it, it gets poured out. I mean, I'm just, I don't care. So I never drink milk out in public. I never drink it in restaurants. I, I don't, I won't drink it at your house if you invite me over for dinner. I just won't. I'm scarred for life. Do you have any, any foods that you hate? Anything just tastes really bad? What is it? What, what tastes bad to you? What do you not like? What food do you just hate? I hate coconut. I'm sorry. I don't know why anybody would mess up a really good chocolate cake by putting coconut in it or on it. I mean, chocolate tastes good until you ruin it with coconut. I mean, it's just one of those things that doesn't taste good. I don't enjoy it. And if I bite into a piece of cake and all of a sudden there's one of those little grainy pieces of coconut shavings or whatever that stuff is, it just that's awful. And in, in the Bible... God tells us that there are words we speak that just don't taste good. They don't taste good to us and they don't taste good to others. And he says there are words, different words, different kinds of words that really do taste good. I mean, they're they're like chocolate with no coconut in them. They're just good. And, And here's the thing. In your life, If you want to have good relationships, healthy relationships that last and are meaningful, then you need to make it a habit to speak words that taste good to the people in your life. And just like I avoid coconut and milk out in public, there are words you need to avoid. There are kinds of 
things that people say that, that you need to avoid if you're going to have healthy, long-lasting, meaningful relationships. And here's the kicker. You need to know which words are which. You need to know the kind of words that taste bad and the kind of words that taste good if you're going to have good relationships throughout your life, whether it's in your family, at work, with friends, at school, the neighborhood. Last Sunday we said that the way we talk reveals a lot about who we really are, and that's true. And some people would be blessed a whole lot and, and, and would find relationships a whole lot easier if they would just learn how to talk better. Now, here's something else. There are things that taste bad just about to just about everybody. There are, there are words that are there, and kinds of words that are always always bad. And then there are some things that taste bad to me, but so like some of y'all were surprised I didn't like coconut. I heard you. But in your relationships, there are, there are some ways of speaking that, that certain people can deal with and others can't. And if you're going to have good relationships with those people, you better figure out which words, they might taste okay to you, but they don't taste good to, to him or her. That's part of it as well. So there's, there's those things that are just, just taste bad to all of us, and then there are those things that are unique to different individuals. And in, in growing relationships, we start figuring that stuff out. So I want to I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 4. As we continue this series, let's talk. Learning how to talk because it impacts the quality of our relationships. And this morning I want to just encourage us to choose Words that taste good. Make it the goal of your life to learn how to talk better. The goal of your life to learn how to speak words that taste good more than you speak words that taste bad to other people. And I promise you it's going to bless your life and it's going to bless your relationships. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Look at what the Bible says. He says, let no unwholesome word, your Bible may say corrupt, let no unwholesome or corrupt word proceed from your mouth. Now, that word unwholesome comes from a, a Greek word that means rotten and therefore worthless. When something is rotting, it's decaying, it's dying. When something is rotting, it smells bad. It's not pleasant, it's not attractive. When something is rotting, it makes people sick. And the Bible says there are words we speak that can be just like that. They are rotten words that bring about decay and death. They, they hurt people. They hurt relationships. They smell bad. They taste bad. They, they're not attractive. People don't enjoy them. It makes, it makes relationships ships sick. It, it makes people's heart and soul sometimes sick. There are those kind of words that we can speak. And, and God says, I don't want you doing that. And I don't think you want to do that. And I know if you want to have good relationships, you don't want to do that. He says instead in verse 29, learn how to, how to only speak the kind of words that are good for edification. Good for edification. Your Bible may translate edification as building up, building up others. It comes in the, in the Greek of the New Testament. It comes from a, a combining of, of two words, one to build, 
and the other a building, a house, an edifice. So it was building a structure. And then it came to be used in terms of relationships for building up people, building up relationships, things that encourage, things that promote growth, things that make something stronger and strengthen them, edify, encourage, build up. And so God is saying, rather than being the kind of person who, is, who tends to speak words that, that produce rottenness in other people's lives, decay and, and hurt and death, learn how to talk in such a way that you're building people up, that you're promoting them, you're encouraging them instead of tearing them down. Words that help them. And he says, speak these words that, that edify people. And, and, and notice, according to the need of the moment, that fits the occasion according to their needs. So if I'm going to say a word that builds up another person, it has to be a word that, that fits what they need at that moment in life. And the only way to do that is I have to, I have to know them. I have to know what they need. I have to pay attention. Now, generally speaking, you, you can speak words that edify people and not know a lot about them. But if you're really going to make it effective in, in those meaningful relationships, those important relationships in your life, the only way you can edify them is to know where they're at and what they need. That means your focus cannot always be on yourself. Okay? Because if what you're speaking as you relate to other people is grows out of, of looking in the mirror, what you need, what you feel, what you want, your opinion, it's going to be all about you and not the occasion that's going on in their life, their need to build them up. It's about whatever you need to do to make you feel better or get what you want. And so to edify someone, to speak those kind of words, you need to learn to pay attention to people. Now, doesn't that make sense that if you're going to have a great marriage, you need to know how to do that? If you're going to be a good parent, a good brother, a good sister, you need to know how to do that. Pay attention so that you can speak the words they need at that moment to help them, to encourage them, to benefit them, to bless them. And notice he says when you do this, it ministers to them what? What's at the end of verse 29? Grace, favor, love. Grace, you help them, it benefits them. If you're going to have good friendships, I mean, have any of you ever had a a friend and it was always about them and what they wanted? Hmm. Well, have you ever been that kind of friend? I'm just saying. See, learning to pay attention to other people and what they need, and when you figure out that they have needs and their needs matter as much as your needs, then you'll be able to speak words into their life that build them up, that help in that moment, rather than always talking in a way that is rotten and makes things sick. Our words can bring death or life, tear down or build up. Now, you all notice when I preach, I from time to time will get a drink of water. It's not just because I'm thirsty or because my throat's a little bit dry. That's a big part of it, but... I'm 56 years old. I've been preaching since I was 17. I've been a pastor since I was 19. So I've been preaching a long time. And for the 26 years I've been pastor of this church for all but a few months, I think like four months, we've had at least two services on Sunday morning and for many years three services. So I've preached a lot, and my voice just isn't quite as strong, and I don't know what that is, but anyway. Um, it's just not quite as strong as it used to be. So it, it, it wears on me a little bit more, so I need, need more moisture. Okay, so I drink water. 
But now, it's almost springtime. Aren't you looking forward to spring? Oh, God, please let it come quick. (laughs) And some of you are already planning where you're going to plant your flowers. Few of you are deciding what you're going to put in your garden this year. Some of you are dreading that you have to go outside when the weather's nice and pick up all the pine cones and the little branches that fell all over your yard during the winter. You've got to clean it up, and it's a mess. need to get the ladder out and clean the pine needles out of the gutters. And you're going to be out there working, making things pretty, fixing it up, taking care of it, and uh, you're going to get thirsty, and when you're thirsty, you want some water. You want something cool and fresh and clean to drink. You know what you don't give a thirsty man? Sand. Sand. It just dries stuff up, soaks up the moisture. You don't give sand. And too often in our relationships, People are thirsty. They're they're thirsty for love. They're thirsty for life. They're thirsty for community. They're they're thirsty for connectedness. They're thirsty for for people. They're thirsty for relationships. We're thirsty for, I'm thirsty, you're thirsty. We all want, listen, God, God made us that way. Who created relationships? Who started it? God did. I mean, when God created humanity, it was because he wanted a relationship with us. Aren't you glad? God's into relationships. And when he created us, he, did, he created us as man and woman, family, people, community. He created us to be in relationships. Life is miserable without relationships. But relationships are hard to maintain. They're, they're, they're difficult to be enjoyable if we're always throwing sand with our words instead of the refreshment of the water. If, if our words are rotten instead of life-giving, instead of edifying. And I, I want to challenge us, and we're going to look in Scripture here in a moment, and try to figure out what are some of the principles that help us understand which words are like fresh water and what kind of things do we say that's like just pouring sand down the the mouth of a, of a thirsty man or woman. How, how do we learn to give people this and not this? So this is rotten. This is edifying. Does that sound okay? Now look at what, it, it's in your notes, and it'll be on the screen. Look at what God says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 in the New Testament. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. If you were to take a piece of paper and identify the significant relationships in your life and then, as best you can, write down the, the, the percentage breakdown of your communication with those people, those persons. What percentage of your communication with your spouse, with your kids, with your siblings, with your friends, with, your, with people at church in Sunday school and so on, what, at work, what percentage of your communication would be considered water and what percentage would be considered sand? What percentage would be edifying? What percentage would be rotten? And then here's another question. Would they agree with how you, wrote, how you broke it down? 
Now, the only way to know that is to ask them. Uh-oh, that's scary. But if you would have a hard, hard, a really hard time asking them and talking about it, that's probably an indication you, that, that at least one of you, if not both of you, have been saying too much of this kind of stuff. Because a lot of this stuff hurts people and hurts relationships and it causes them to pull back. Proverbs 16, 24 in your notes, the Bible says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I love that, that image, that pleasant words are like honey. I like honey. I do. I like honey. Before I started losing weight, when I would go to restaurants sometimes to get me a dessert without paying for one, I'd have them bring me a biscuit and honey, and I'd pour honey all over it, and that was my dessert. It was cheap and loaded with calories, but it was good. And he said, pleasant words are like honey, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Let me ask you, is, is there anyone you avoid because when you're around them, they say things, and it just grates on you? Hmm? We all know people that if they open their mouth, they're hurting somebody. If they talk, they're putting somebody down. Even when they try to do humor, it's always a put down, right? And we avoid them. After a while, you know, you can take a little bit of it, but after a while, you just, you're sick of it because rotten words make you sick. And so you avoid it. Are you that person in someone else's life? They avoid you? Because of your words, how you talk. Some of us need to be a lot more careful than others. We have to work at this a whole lot harder than others. So who, who's the us? Who am I talking about? Well, I'm going I'm to throw me in this category, okay? Those of us who are sarcastic. I'm sarcastic. So i got to watch it. I got you know those if you if you're like me and you have a sarcastic tendency you're you have a, you're prone to sarcasm you need to be really careful and work extra hard because you'll tend to say more words that are rotten than you intend to just because you're sarcastic if you're smart and you like to give advice be careful if you're a perfectionist. And it don't well too late now. I was going to ask you to raise your hand if you're a perfectionist, but uh, if you're sitting near a perfectionist, raise your hand. No, don't don't do that. Don't do that. Perfectionists have to be careful because perfectionists are always beating themselves up, and then they turn around and beat everybody else up because nobody does it perfectly. Got to be careful. You know who else needs to to work really hard at this? Those of us who have really strong opinions. Especially those of us who have strong opinions about everything. Whether we know anything about the subject or not, we've still got an opinion. <laughs> right? And so we speak out of that, and, and without realizing it, we speak more words that are rotten that tear down instead of words that edify and minister grace to people to help them at their point of need. Proverbs 14.1, the Bible says the wise woman builds her house. And you could put the wise man, husband, wife, parent, you know, whatever. 
The wise person builds their house, their family, their home, but the foolish one tears it down with their own hands. See, rotten words make it sick, tear it down family. Edifying words build it up and strengthen it. Researchers at the University of Iowa did six different studies in which they tracked 100 couples for the first seven years of marriage. You know what they discovered? They discovered that husbands and wives feel a lower level of marital satisfaction when they are given too much advice from a spouse as opposed to too little. And the worst and most damaging was unsolicited advice. Now, my wife will tell you I have to watch that. I got Well, she won't tell you, but I'll tell you. I'll be confessional. That's a problem for me. And every now and then she'll, I didn't clear this with her, so I'm sorry, sweetie, but uh, um, every now and then she'll, re- she'll remind me that uh, she's my wife, not one of the staff. <laughs> but see, some of you, you're like me. And in your marriage, what they discover is we all, we all want to, you know, give advice and, and help. But if, you're, but if your tendency, your tendency is to, to give advice, whether they're asking for it or not, you're doing more damage to the marriage than you realize. You're doing more damage to the friendship because it's like you're always putting them down. And, and if they are discussing some issue at work or with a friend or whatever, Ask them, well, would you would you like uh, some insights from my past experience or some things I might you might want to consider? Get their permission before you tell them what to do. Okay, R- write that down. Get their permission before you tell them what to do. Let you know. Remind me that I said that. Okay, sweetie, remind me later. Okay, work at it. Work at it. Romans 14, 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Let it be your goal to strengthen your relationships, not hurt them. Particularly when it comes to arguments, your goal should be to win the relationship, not the argument. What are you pursuing? What are you chasing? What is it that you want? What's the outcome you're really looking for? A better relationship or just winning? A better relationship or just getting your way and making sure they know what you think? What's more important to you? And this is not just marriage. I mean, your neighbor, people in your Sunday school class. Some of you would advance more at work if you learned how to talk better. I'm just saying All right, here's what I want to do. I want to spend a few minutes looking real quickly at some Bible verses that to me are like uh, spices. I like to cook, okay, and I like to use spices. I've got a lot of spices. I like to experiment. The other day I experimented with pork chops using anchovy paste. Now, I know it sounds terrible, but it was some of the best pork chops I've ever made, really good. See me after church. I'll give you the recipe. Spices. And, you know, spices, we, we use salt, pepper, spices to make, things taste 
better. So what are some spices that can make your words taste better, your speech taste better? What are some, what are some principles that, that can help you speak more water and refreshment into people's lives and into your relationships versus speaking sand and drought and, and, and thirst and so on into the relationships? What, what are some principles? Let's look at some Bible verses real quickly, okay? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. You know what sand is? Sand, speech, is a know-it-all. It's the person who talks because they're always right. They know everything, and they're always right. If that's you, you probably speak a lot of sand. Water listens and gets advice and input from others and doesn't think they already know everything and therefore they don't have to listen to anybody. Proverbs 18.2, a fool does not delight in understanding but only in revealing his own mind. Now look at that again. Does not delight, get excited about understanding, but only the only thing he delights in is revealing his own mind. Sand, if you think it, you say it. If you have an opinion, you share it. And you have no interest in understanding where others are coming from. Water is realizing that maybe just maybe you don't know everything. Water is getting the facts before you jump to conclusions because one of the biggest challenges in life and in relationships is we jump to conclusions about what people meant when they did such and such, why they did it. When you jump to conclusions about other people in your relationships, quite often those, rela- those, those conclusions that you jump to are going to be wrong and you're going to react out of false conclusions and you're going to damage the relationship, making assumptions without getting clarification, without getting more information. Proverbs eighteen thirteen: he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. You know what sand is? Sand is not only jumping to those conclusions, drawing those conclusions before you have all the information. Sand is speaking based on those conclusions that were faulty because you didn't get all the facts first. Not just drawing conclusions, but then talking out of that. Not really listening. Years ago, I don't know, I was maybe 19, 20 years old in Kentucky, and I was in a, in a workshop with some preachers, and there was this, this person who was teaching us some things about counseling and, and so on, conflict. And, and I remember it's a simple little technique, simple little technique, and I've tried to use it at times in my life. Not always, but I've tried simple little technique that, you know, somebody does something or somebody says something and it bothers you, it hurts you, our natural tendency is to jump to an assumption, make an assumption about why they did it. We assign motives. In other words, if you love me, you would. If you love me, you wouldn't. You did such and such, and therefore that means that you, you did this, therefore you, we assign motives. You did this because... And then when we communicate to the person, we don't just speak about what they did. We speak about why they did it. You did this because you're a rotten, no good, lousy. If you love me, you wouldn't. You know, and, we, and we assign motives. And we attack out of that. And the technique they taught us was, instead of doing that, say to the person who did or said something that bothers you, you know, I'm not sure why, and I don't, you know, and I don't think this is the reason. I don't think you meant it this way. But when you said such and such or when you did such and such, this is how it made me feel. 
this is what it said to me. I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying that that's why you did it or what you meant or how you intended it, but when you did that, when you said that, it made me feel this way. It said this to me. And in so doing, you give that person the opportunity to clarify. They can say, yeah, that's exactly why I did it. But more often than not, they'll say, oh, I'm so, I didn't, oh, I, I, I had no idea it came across that way. That's not what I meant. Here's why I did that. Here's what I meant. Here's why. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with the issue rather than this muddy water that just gets muddier all the time because we're all jumping to conclusions and making assumptions about people. And, and some, some people do that for years in their relationships, and after a while, the water is so muddy, you can't clear it up. You can't get back to what's really going on because there's all this other stuff that's gotten in there. And if you go year after year after year after year in your most significant relationships, jumping to conclusions and making assumptions and not clarifying, I'm telling you the day is coming when you all are going to run into each other and it's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be bad. And that's when you're going to call the church and say, you know, does Steve do counseling? And it's probably going to be too late. Because there's just too many layers of the onion to unpeel. Too much stuff in there to work through. So don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Another verse, Proverbs 10, 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Sand is talking too much, talking all the time. Water, water is silence. Sometimes the best thing you can say is nothing. Make your words taste better. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Sand, sand is you go with your first you go with your first reaction. Okay? You just go with your first reaction. You stick that sword in and you twist it. Water is you try to figure out how to make the situation better, not worse. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Sand is speech that is hateful and mean and trying to win the argument above everything else, whereas water is, I'm going to try to take this thing down a notch because finding the answer and healing the relationship is more important than me winning the argument or the debate. And I like to debate. But the relationships in my life are more important than winning a debate. That's true for all of us. So take it down a notch. Win the relationship. That's more important than winning the argument. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. In other words, water is think before you speak. Sand is just say it. Proverbs 16, 23, the heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. You know what water is? Love is, water is allowing love, love to guide your lips. 
to guide your speech. Proverbs 12, 19, truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is, is only for a moment, being honest. And then when you have to deal with a hard subject, and sometimes you will, be honest, but use the principles we've talked about this morning while you're being honest. See, sometimes Christians misuse Scripture and they speak the truth, but they haven't learned how to speak the truth in love. And how you say it matters as much as what you say. Did you get that? You ought to write that down. Put that on, you know, put that in your bedroom, put that in the bathroom, put that in your kitchen, put that in your car. How you say it matters as much as what you say. So speak the truth, but do it the right way. I got a I got a challenge for you this week, a homework assignment, okay? It's on the bottom of the back page of your insert, 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage, love is patient, kind, all of that. This week, read that passage several times and then sit down with those people that are close to you, whether it's your spouse or family, friends, whatever. And um, after you have evaluated yourself using each of those words in 1 Corinthians 13, those three verses, ask those people in your life to evaluate you on the basis of those words. All right, kindness. Now, some of them will tell you the truth. Some of them won't because they just have a hard time doing that and they don't want to hurt your feelings. But some of you may struggle to do this because your relationship, you've allowed so much stuff to go on and so much stuff to happen and there's been so many rotten words spoken, you all don't know how to talk about this kind of stuff easily. And that's an indication that you need to, you need to tone it down and maybe have some real heart-to-heart, and maybe you need, to go, you, need, you need to go see a professional counselor to help you do that. Because in your, in your relationships, you need to be able to talk about the things that help and the things that hurt. And just keep getting better as a person. Just, just keep, keep, keep growing. I want to challenge us to say whether whether you're listen whether you're 14, 34, 54, or 74, don't settle for where you are. We can all we can all learn, we can all grow, we can all change, we can all do better. I mean, every season of life we should be constantly growing, making progress, getting better at this stuff. And, and, and if you're 84 and your spouse is alive, I hope at 84, I pray that at 84 you're still learning how to love each other better. Don't ever stop getting better at this stuff. Because the very moment you stop trying to grow, to learn, to change, to get better at relationships and at talking in these relationships, the very moment you stop getting better, your relationship starts getting worse. And there's no excuse for a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, to not say, I want to grow and get better. Close with this. Some of you will remember back in the early 80s when Ronald Reagan was president. Some of you, I don't know if you've even heard of Ronald Reagan, but anyway, back in the early 1980s, he was president. Before the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was a lot of tension between Russia, between the Soviet Union and, 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 and America, particularly over nuclear arms. 
big nuclear arms build up. Eventually, you know, Reagan was part of reducing the stockpile. But, but there was a lot of tension. And there was, I remember in the early 80s, one of the big movements across America was the anti-nuclear weapons, the disarmament movement. There were marches and demonstrations. Some of you all remember that? And it was a pretty tense time. Well, one of President Reagan's daughter is Patty Davis, and she was a very active member of the disarmament movement, the, the, the anti-nuclear weapons movement. She spoke at rallies. She, she participated in demonstrations against it and against her father. And her mother, it always bothered her because she felt like she was always, you know, attacking her dad. But President Reagan, he, is, he's, uh, he, he, as long as Patty was civil and respectful, he didn't mind her sharing her opinion in public if it differed with his. He was okay with that. The problem was is that Patty Davis was seldom civil and seldom respectful. She was anything but. A couple of years ago, she gave an interview. Now, President Reagan's been dead for a few years. A couple of years ago, this daughter, who's now getting up in years herself, gave an interview, and she said one of her regrets was turning down her father every time he wanted to sit down and talk with her about life. She always told him, I already know your side. She was making assumptions. And she knew it wounded him, but she did it anyway. She said another regret was that in, in 1982, she participated in an anti-nuclear weapon rally at, at the Rose Bowl, 100,000 people, big one. And she was going to be one of the keynote speakers. And so just before she went up to the podium to give her speech, that 100,000-strong crowd that hated her dad, hated his policies, were chanting something about, we need a, a new president, a new president, a new president. Get a new president. And Patty Davis said when that was happening, every fiber in her being told her to just walk away. Instead, she went to the podium and delivered her speech critical of her father. Two years ago in that interview, she said, Now, all these years later, nobody remembers my speech. Nobody remembers what I said. All anybody remembers is that when 100,000 people were calling for my father to resign, I was the keynote speaker. In his later years, President Reagan had Alzheimer's. And Patty Davis said she would look into his eyes and try to reach past the murkiness of Alzheimer's with her words, with her apology, hoping that in his heart he heard and understood her. And the article about the interview concludes with her saying this, and this is a quote. Listen carefully. She said, I wish that now, all those years ago, I had led with kindness, not with ideological stridency. We are, after all, she said, remembered in the end for how we treat others. And how we talk to people and about people is a really big part of how we treat people. And it's going to have a really big impact on our relationships.
at every level. Words matter. So make it the goal of your life to learn how to do it better. Now, we're not going to be perfect till heaven. But don't use that as an excuse to keep doing it just like you're doing it right now. Get better. Because you can. Don't say this is the way I am and everybody knows it and you just got to accept it. That's just pure laziness because that says you're not willing to invest any effort into getting better. That's laziness and selfishness. Stop saying that. That is ungodly. As a follower of Christ, we're always trying to get better. We're not perfect, but we're trying to get better. And the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God helps us if we allow him to. All right? So get better. Say that. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to get better. Yeah, I'm going to get better. All right, stand up. Stand up, please. We're going to sing a song, and I needed a little levity because some of you are feeling really down right now. I got you. Okay. But this is serious stuff. We sing this song. We're going to worship the Lord. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what the Lord is saying to your heart. You, you may need, listen, you may need to reach over to your spouse, take them by the hand and just squeeze it, and in so doing say, I love you, and I'm going to do better. You may need to go home and apologize to somebody. You, need, you may need to go visit a friend, call a friend. You may need to walk over to your neighbor this afternoon. I invite you to come and kneel here at the front and pray. Talk to God about this stuff, about your relationships, about your speech. We invite you to join this church. Maybe like these who were baptized earlier, you need to experience believer's baptism. Come and let us know that. Jamie and I are here at the front. Brother Steve's here. Come and let us know what your decision is. So let's sing together. And you come right now and make your decision for the Lord. Come on.